Hello, Alex Zane here. Thank you for choosing to listen to Just The Facts. And while you can still enjoy these episodes forever, you might want to check out our brand new show, A Trip To The Movies, where each week a different famous film fan curates their perfect night out at the cinema, picking what snacks they'd eat, where they'd sit, who they'd go with, and of course, what movies they'd screen. If you love cinema as much as we do, search A Trip to the Movies with Alex Zane or head to our socials at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod to find out more. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Alex Zane and welcome to Just The Facts, a conversation about the career and achievements of a different actor or filmmaker every week and welcome to episode 26. This week, I am joined by a man many of you will be familiar with the work of on British TV, where he has worked for the BBC for many years, hosting everything from Top of the Pops to acting in Doctor Who to his recent series of documentaries examining everything from teen gangs to extreme countries to the race riots in the USA but he has now fulfilled a long-standing desire and made the leap from in front of to behind the camera with his feature film debut as writer and director of the excellent new comedy drama Pirates which hit cinemas in the UK this Friday we are welcoming Reggie Yates to Just The Facts. We're going to be talking about his inspiration for the film, his writing process and the casting of his three fantastic leads. We chat about his long-standing love of movies, how he prepared for his directorial debut and the advice he was given by some other great directors that they passed on to him, including Oscar winner Danny Boyle. It's great that Reggie's film is coming out in cinemas, not just because it's great to have cinemas back and films being specifically released for the big screen, but because it's a great movie to see in a crowd with your mates. It is so confidently directed, it looks wonderful, and the three leads have such an authentic friendship and fantastic chemistry. I really enjoyed it. Very quickly, 
a quick request from us here at JTF Pod. If you do like the show, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. And if you've got time, leave us a quick rating and review. Also, do give us a little follow on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to get in touch with us, that's the place to do it. And finally, if you'd like to watch this interview, as opposed to just listen to it, the full video interview will be available on our JTF Pod YouTube channel this Friday. Subscribe there and get notified whenever we've got a new interview up on YouTube. Right then, let's crack on with this. It is time. Please welcome to Just The Facts, the brilliant Mr. Reggie Yates. Where are you, by the way? It looks like some kind of studio or a, a dance center, or I'm not sure. Yeah, this is my tap studio that I go to on a Friday afternoon. I, I don't know. This is I'm, my house. Is it really? Yeah, I'm in my kitchen at the minute. Yeah. Wow. We then we both have quite unique. Look, I'm in my kitchen. This is my. This I know it doesn't look like it, but this is my kitchen. And is that really your kitchen? It is my kitchen. Yes. It's, it's what my- is what is that then? Is that like a wood paneling? Yeah, so this is like we're doing the interiors. I'm going to get my Kevin McLeod on, whatever he's called. This is my grand design. This is a wood clad wall. And behind here, you'll like this. One second. Hang on. Oh, come on. Behind here is a TV. Oh. Oh, hello, Mr. Bond. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, this is my kitchen. I'm literally sat at my dining table and that's there because I like to watch the football when I'm cooking over there. So yeah. <sighs> Lovely business. I I love a man who takes pride in both his kitchen and his TV setup. So <laughs> that is, if there wasn't already a great reason to watch the video version of this interview, I think that's a lovely little appetizer right there. So tell me this, Mr. Reggie Yates, how does it feel to be doing interviews for your feature film debut as writer and director? It is very flipping surreal. Um, I've spent so many years um, asking questions and uh, now being asked them is is the the, the weirdest thing in the world. And as you know, you know, we've, we've sort of been in the same sort of universe for quite some time. And um, in the MTV days, I was very much in the same building as you for, for quite some time. And you've pivoted quite seamlessly into, into film land. And it's amazing watching watching you do what you do and uh, watching your ascent. And it's just really beautiful that you can actually pivot into doing the thing that you're really passionate about. And that's essentially what it's been for me. It's been a pivot from something that I enjoy and kind of like and that's fun into what I've always really, truly loved. So to know that my film is going to be out this time next week makes me feel a bit sick to my stomach but also it's like the coolest thing in the world like going to the cinema to watch something you genuinely want to see and seeing your trailer come up it's just it's awesome it's awesome uh well first of all thank you for those kind words about myself um i I did pivot and i i enjoyed the pivot and i'm sure you have too because although this on paper might look like an immediate thing that you've done like i'm Reggie Yates has written and directed a feature film. You have been working towards this for some time. I think it's like, is it like four or three or four short films that you've made over the last seven or eight years, which I imagine were preparation for this eventuality? Essentially, yeah. Uh, I made four short films and with each film sort of grew in scale uh, and also grew in ambition and um, experience sort of got me to the place that by the time I'd made my fourth, I said, I'm not going to write any more shorts. I'm going to actively go out and, and try and, and make a feature film and actively try and get the, the money to get it done. Um, 
And I made a TV movie called um, Make Me Famous, which was for the BBC, which I'm really proud of. It was a, an hour standalone drama about the relationship between uh, reality TV and suicide and, and male mental health and male, male self-image. And, um, and Pirates came after, and it's been a very healthy, gradual uh, step towards feature filmmaking. And, um, you know, we're a tiny movie. We're a small, independent British movie. But for whatever reason, um, people are interested. And uh, it's just really cool knowing that we are so small, but we're making a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. And we're on the radar of a lot of people. So I just really hope people see it. I mean, that's, that's interesting. I, I guess... Considering, like, if you if we are calling it a, a small movie, and, and to be honest, it doesn't feel like that when you watch it, which I think is a really nice thing about it. Um, is the pressure slightly less, or is it inconsequential the scale of the movie to the pressure you're feeling when you are one week away from release? Well, it's really interesting this idea of pressure because a few people have asked me literally today, "Oh, it's a week away. How are you feeling?" Because I'm a film nerd and Friday is movie night. You know, I go to the movie every week and I go to movies every week. And uh, literally because I knew I was busy today, I went and saw Ghostbusters yesterday afternoon because I love the experience of being in the cinema and I I like to go and catch whatever's new. So uh, having been in the business for so long, you sort of grow a bit of a thick skin and you grow a way of dealing with the opinions of others, shall we say. So pressure for me in a lot of ways doesn't really come into it. More than anything, I'm just really excited about the fact that it's finally out there and that, you know, these amazing three young leads are going to finally be seen. And hopefully this is the beginning of a really beautiful career for them. And I'm just sort of staying away from reviews as I've always done uh, and focusing on the piece and what I can learn from it and talking to the people that I really trust in terms of their opinion and, and hopefully learning from those conversations. Well, we'll certainly talk about those leads in uh, a moment because um, we have to talk about how you managed to cast such fantastic actors in those three lead roles. But we jump in the gun. And it is interesting that you sort of mentioned not feeling the pressure. And you, as you said, you've pivoted in your career. Did you feel at all, though, as you were making it, like that you had something to prove like there may have been? I, and I, I speak from a personal place with this because I you know I've started writing and I've often considered this question myself the idea that people might go but you're a tv host and you are uh, writing a a movie and do do you consider that there may be some snobbery that you have to overcome or just weather yeah um absolutely uh I'd be lying if I said that didn't enter my mind you know you sort of you have that thing in your head where you're thinking some people are going to say well of course it's easy for him to get the green light and to get the money to make the movie and they're going to have other people saying who does he think he is how dare he even attempt to step into our arena when you know I've been in this business for 30 years and I started out as an actor and you just have to sort of take that stuff as part of it and as you say weather the storm um i don't think people go out of their way to look into you and your history when you've done something that they don't expect and the idea of uh, investing time and energy into what other people think as i've said is something that i've never really done uh, at least in the last decade because of my history in television and you know you know better than anyone reviews can be so hardcore and they can be so heartbreaking that I've always lent into the idea of learning on my own terms and trying to grow as much as I can. And um, it's my first 
movie and there's a long way to go. You know, this is a career, not just, uh, you know, a flash in the pan. This isn't me having a go. This is me, um, uh, this is the culmination of, as you said, a lot of short films, a lot of work. There are 30 screenplays that no one else will see that I've written prior to Pirates and another 20 that I've written since Pirates. Um, and I've learned so much on the journey, both as an actor who's worked with every kind of director, the best kind uh, and the worst kind, you know, the ones that got drunk at lunchtime and that were horrible and nobody really liked. And I've read every kind of script and had to learn every kind of script um, from the best kind to the worst kind. I've been in every kind of audition and being at the age that I am, having left acting behind and focusing on actually creating as opposed to being a mouthpiece for somebody else's stories. I just feel incredibly lucky that I've been given the opportunity to tell mine. And I guess the other thing is, obviously, being in the industry, as long as you have uh, in any form, you do, you know, you develop a thick skin to yeah. stuff like that. Like at the start, you know, I, I certainly remember, you know, it blew a hole in me when I was like, someone wrote that, like in this day and age, a nothing negative review of something. And I couldn't deal with it. And then over time, you realize it's, it's half of the course, really. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, do you know what? That doesn't really come into my mind when it gets to this point of releasing something out into the world. Mm. We had a premiere on Monday just gone and it was just a really beautiful sort of uh, a moment of release for everyone because we didn't get a rap party because of COVID and the cast finally were able to share with their family and friends the film that they're so proud of and I was able to do the same and I'm just staying in that place where um, it's a real celebratory moment because we've we've circumvented so much stuff to get to this point to the film actually being released. And, you know, small British films don't really get attention. And a lot of the time people don't expect them to get as wide a release as we've got. So I'm just really enjoying the fact that, you know, there are posters on the subway, people are going to see this, people know about it. And that in this climate, in this industry, in this country is a huge win. So I'm, I'm really drinking in all the wins and focusing yeah. on it. <laughs> and you should, and you absolutely should. It's a tremendously, tremendously enjoyable film. I loved it. I'm just going to very briefly sum up the plot uh, so that you don't have to, but I mean, you could do it. I hope I'm not stealing your thunder, oh, but I'll just do it really quickly. Someone else do it. I'm excited oh. to hear someone else do it for once. <laughs> all right, I hope I do it justice. So it's about three friends who have got back together for New Year's Eve on the eve of the millennium. They're desperate to have the best night ever while working through some issues in their friendship. Nice. Good? Yeah, good. That's good. That's good. Think the only thing that's missing in that is that, uh, you know, it's set to the backdrop of UK Garage Music, which is a really special uh, and unique thing to that time uh, in this city. And because of that, we've got a banging soundtrack and we've got uh, a subculture that's never really been put on the big screen. So it just feels that little bit more special outside of it being your traditional coming of age movie. Well, let's talk about that because I, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to you that I know the first thing about late <laughs> 90s garage or the garage scene. I was jumping around London indie clubs like Metro and Oxford Street and LA too around that time to the dying embers of the Britpop scene. So <laughs> I can appreciate like the garage was a thing because I was aware of it in the background. But you not only have like some what I'm told are like amazing garage tracks. I'm starting to sound like a dad. I'm worried that I'm starting to sound a bit like Richard Mainly right now. So the garage scene, um, like I'm not going to pretend I know, but basically you got some great tunes in there and you've got some garage stars in there, don't you? Yeah, uh, yeah, we got some, we got some, we got some legends Sorry. in there. We have dad. Oh my god, <laughs> we got some, we got some real UK garage legends in there, and it's great. I mean, in terms of the music, 
Um, we didn't get as much music as we would have liked because we our budget was so tiny, but we were able to cram in as many seminal records as possible. And because of that, you know, the needle drops are, uh, they, they're really satisfying if you know the tunes. And even if you don't know the tunes, we use some of the songs in, in quite a cinematic way. For instance, Little Bit of Luck, which is a song that hopefully is on your radar. It was a big pop hit as well as being an underground smasher. Like, nah, mate, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, a uh, little bit of luck, uh, luck and me, uh, is a song that is quite cinematic in its massive dramatic intro. And we use that as score. And that was um, something that I was really excited to do, to take some of these records that were made by teenagers in their bedrooms 20 years ago and give them the cinematic treatment. And I'll tell you that the coolest thing about the music was that a lot of these records were never actually mixed properly. So in our sound mix, we were actually making these seminal classic songs sound better and sound right for the first time. So on Monday at the premiere, we had like Scott Garcia who made It's a London Thing in the Room and um, Sunship and all these other like famous garage producers, uh, famous in a, in a two mile radius. Um, and when these records came out the speakers in screen one at Rixie Brixton, everybody sort of sat up because we never heard the record sound that good. And it was just a real cool moment for me. In that incredible. So what did, the, what did the artists think when they heard their songs for the first time in a mix that they'd never heard before, that quality? There was a lot of people shaking my hand with a firm grip. <laughs> and it was, I'd say the funniest thing was uh, there were a few producers that sort of stopped me and were like, look, I know that we agreed to license the record for the film, but you played it for like three minutes. We thought it'd be like 10 seconds. This is incredible. You, you almost played the whole song. And it was just, it was just really cool because, you know, these guys have never been honored. Their music has never been put on the pedestal. I feel it, deser it deserves. And growing up in a city like London, you just get so used to seeing uh, art exhibitions, photography openings, uh, documentaries and films about punk, ska, mods and rockers. And it's never been done. Uh, for UK Garage, so I'm just really chuffed that I've given these guys who defined my formative years, they're, they're just due. And uh, and you actually did a, a, a stint on a, was it a pirate garage radio station at, at one point? Yeah, prior to joining Radio 1, I was on a, a North London pirate radio station called Freak FM. So uh -huh. I was 17 years old, um, avoiding DTI and buying records and going up this tower block and playing music to, to, to North London, yeah. I mean, well, I don't know how, what the legal, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure pirate radio is illegal. Um, did you ever, was there any fear? Did that sort of energize you? Like the, the actual idea that you might get caught? Did anyone ever get caught doing pirate radio? Oh yeah, well, when I was 14, I moved from north to south. So I was on a South London station called Taste FM as well. And there was a couple of times that a station got raided and I just about circumvented the DTI, which was the uh, Department of Trade and Industry. They were like a whole section who would confiscate records and take rigs and, you know, basically throw people in jail for, for, for broadcasting illegally. So I, I just about avoided it, both north and south of the river. So I used to uh, do the breakfast show on XFM, uh, the radio station uh, now no longer exists in that form, but uh, our frequency was 87.7 FM, which uh, we found out uh, was the pirate frequency that most pirate radio stations, let's say, borrowed to broadcast on so we just get text after text going I, I, i'm trying to listen but this a pirate radio station that may have been you <laughs> no you, you would have known it was me because i would have been saying the most stupid things and you definitely would have been like i recognize that voice 
It would have been <laughs> 17 year old excited me. So the conceit of this movie is, is I love it. It's the idea of, uh, you know, a story that unfolds over the course of one night, in this case, Millennium Eve. And um, it reminded me of uh, like, there's a couple of great movies throughout um, history, uh, cinematic history that have used a similar thing, like Dazed and Confused is a good example of young people having fun over the course of one night. Human Traffic back in the 90s was another one. In terms of any inspiration you took when it came to pirates, the story rather than the look to begin with, did you watch any films? Was there anything that you looked to? Uh, no, there wasn't any direct influences in terms of the story, but uh, I was massively influenced by Lehen, um as a teenager. You know, Matthew Kasovitz's film um, really just threw me for a loop in a lot of ways because, yes, it was black and white. Yes, it's French, but it was kids that looked like me and my pals. You know, it was children of immigrants in, uh, in council estates, but in Paris and just, in the, just outside in the suburbs. And watching that movie and seeing how cinematic it looked and how cool it felt and how fresh it felt. Um, and even though the story was, was small, it still felt, it felt cinematic. It felt as though it had scale. And that really made me feel as though telling a story about kids like I once was could be cinematic and could feel big in a lot of ways. And yes, we achieved that through the way that we shot it and um the way in which we use london as a location and as a character but definitely the hen sort of um gave me a bit of a nudge in that direction and there's like quite a few like tips of the cat to the movie in it like the use of the the, the clock throughout like you know the ticking time bomb and right the way through to some of the motifs like there's a, one of my favorite visual sequences in the hen is when the boys are sort of just sat around in this block and there's like a massive hippo in their council block and we uh did our own version of that with uh with the, what we call the tottenham snail there's like this massive mural in uh in, on seven sisters road in north london and um it's like it's like a, a massive it's like the eiffel tower if you're from the area you know it's one of those things that's been there forever and it's a landmark in a lot of ways and um the minute that that appeared in the trailer, I started getting phone calls from people going, are you kidding me? This is incredible. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it just made me really want to honour the bits of London that London is not, you know? Yeah, yeah, I've driven past that snail. And, I, you know, I, I didn't grow up near it, but I'm, I live in North London now and I've gone past it. And it is, it's, it's a funny thing. We've, we're so indoctrinated into American cinema. So you get that feeling when you go to New York and you're like, oh my God, it's like a movie set. But when you see something in your city in a film, it's a wonderful feeling. It really is, it really is. And that was something that I was really motivated to do. I mean, we, we had our limitations because, you know, this is a period piece, it's set in 1999. So when I wanted to show the boys crossing the bridge, we had to be very specific about what bridge we chose because of what buildings were in the background. And, you know, we're hardly Marvel Studios, so we can't paint, just paint buildings out. So we had to be quite, quite cute with what bridge we chose and what angles we picked when we were shooting. You mentioned um, your three leads uh, already. Elliot Adusa, Jordan Peters and Reda Elazua. Um, they play uh, Capo, Two-Ton and Kidda. Correct, yeah. Tell me about casting them and that casting process because their friendship on screen is so funny and so convincing and authentic. It's it's a real treat to watch the three of them together. How how did you find them? Uh, mate, just a little sidebar. I've been watching you do film stuff for so many years now and to hear you say that about my boys means a hell of a lot to me. So I'm sure that they'll be excited. Um, that's a really awesome compliment because 
they absolutely nailed it in terms of their chemistry. Um, as, as, a, as a young actor myself, I went through so many years of being on sets where I didn't really feel listened to or um, invested in by producers or directors. So once I knew that Pirates was going to be the film I was going to make, I knew that whoever I cast, I'd have to spend time with them and make sure that they uh, knew that they were safe on set and also that their friendship would be the thing that the film lived and died on. And I just got incredibly lucky because two of the boys went to the Brit school together and uh, one of the boys worked with one of that two uh, on a film maybe six months before Pirates. And um, they obviously all came in and auditioned individually. And when they got called back, they were all sat in the waiting room looking at each other like, oh my God, maybe, maybe, just maybe. So when we did the chemistry test, myself and my amazing casting director, Shaheen Baig, um, Shaheen was was so amazing. I mean, she worked with me from my short films and helped me uh, find Tossin Cole. I worked with Tossin Cole, who's doing incredible things now as a young actor. He's got some massive stuff coming out next year. And I did two short films with him and she just let me know before he walked in the room that this kid's gonna be incredible. And he blew me away and she was right. And now he's massive. And then the same thing with Daniel Kalua. Like I'd been, a, I was aware of his work, but I'd never met him or worked with him. And she was like, you have to work with Daniel for this role. Now he's a flipping Oscar winner. And with these three guys, she was just adamant that they would really shine on screen. And the minute I saw them, I had to bite my tongue and not offer them the part on the spot. And then when we did the chemistry test and put the three of them together, um, it was just instant. So once they were actually cast, I took the boys away for a, a weekend uh, at the seaside and we just sort of hung out. We watched a bunch of coming of age movies together. The boys cooked. Thankfully, they didn't kill any of us. And it was just a real bonding experience. And then when we were on set, I just went out of my way to make sure that the crew understood what we were trying to do. And I just wanted to make sure that the crew also understood that there has never been a British movie with black leads that feels like this and that is in this pocket in terms of its tone. And that it's really important that we get it right and that we make these boys feel safe. And everybody understood the mission. And, you know, from playing music between takes to just really being light and giving the boys room to improvise allowed everybody to make it an enjoyable experience. And off the back of it, it was just like this really cool old theatrical company who just had everyone, had each other's backs. And um, I don't want to take anything away from the boys. You know, but the environment was set in a way to really give them the best shot, but they absolutely knocked it out of the park because they're incredibly professional and talented as well. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, as I said, uh, just the relationship. It's just, it's the beating heart of this film. And it's its wonderful to see them, the verbal sparring they go through, which it's interesting to know. I, you kind of get the feel that some of it might've been improvised because it, it's so like sparky uh, for want of a better word. Yeah. Um, so once you'd set that environment up for them, what did you find took up most of your time as a director? You know, because there are certain directors who are, known as actors, directors, you spend a lot of time working with the cast and there are other directors who sort of go, right, look, I trust you guys to do what you're doing so they can then concentrate on every other element of the shot. You know, Ridley Scott famously does not involve himself with actors. He's like, I hire people because I trust them to do what they're doing so he can then look at the minutiae of what's on screen. What do you spend most of your time doing? Um, to be honest with you, it's uh, a bit of both, really, because I'm very sure about what it is I want before I even get to, to set, you know, and from the short films, visually, I always had uh, an identity that I wanted to ensure found its way uh, on screen. 
And in terms of performance, you know, I think a lot of that comes from writing as well as directing and also having a, a history as an actor. I, I want to believe what these actors are delivering. And in working with, and I, I've been very lucky in terms of the quality of actors I've worked with in my short films. So like working with people like Jessica Hine, for instance, on one of my shorts, you know, you've got someone who has the ability to improvise, but in certain moments, that's not called for, you know, and, so, and, and to have the confidence to be able to say to someone who you've been watching since based and are absolutely obsessed with, look, this is a point where we need to stick to the script and it's not until the next scene that we can really play. And it's really important that we slow it down and hit this beat here. And just being able to speak to an actor from an actor's perspective, I think allows them to know that they're in safe hands. And for me, it will always be about uh, being collaborative, be that with the DOP or with the actors. And um, I think that that split of just being very clear and knowing what I want, allow people to not only trust me, but for me to trust them. So some days I was Ridley, and some days I was the guy in the mix. And um, that was depending on what the scene required. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Let's talk about um, actually writing this. So I believe you were in Los Angeles when you had the initial idea for Pirates. Um, no, I, I wrote the first draft when I was in LA, actually. Ah. Uh, but I had the idea... Uh, not that long before. So um, I was commissioned to write it, but then I had to go away to shoot a documentary that I'd already been uh, greenlit on. And funnily enough, the documentary that I went away to make in Los Angeles was Hollywood's Black Renaissance, which was um, a BBC Two hour special on the black men and women that are redefining culture through film and television. So I... I've got this green light in the back of my head of a movie that I have to write, and I'm super excited about that. But I have to put that in a box and then sit down with Mahershala Ali and talk to him about True Detective and sit down with Lena Waithe and talk to her about Master of None and Twenties and The Shy and then, you know, talk to Damon Waynes and talk to Terry Crews and all these different people. And I just got so inspired that I extended my trip once we wrapped and just wrote the first draft while I was out there in 10 days. And then obviously came home and, and worked further into the other drafts. 
That's not bad for a first draft, though. Ten days. How close is that to what you ended up with on screen? Um, not that dissimilar, weirdly. I mean, it was the same story, but uh, the budget made me have to pull, <laughs> pull the reins quite <laughs> a bit. Like, I always try and go as big as possible in the first draft and then bring it back. Um, yeah, I, I'm quite a quick writer, particularly when it comes to that, that vomit draft, that draft zero, because I just need to get the idea down. So, yeah, 10 days is about right for me normally. I mean... This, uh, the UK film industry, there's a lot of activity going on at the moment. I mean, there's money being spent all around the outskirts of London, studios building new space, movies, both British and American, being shot here. I mean, you've obviously just completed your first feature here. What's your take on the state of UK film? Uh, are you feeling that right now there are opportunities both for you personally and uh, as a filmmaker in general working in the UK at the moment? Yeah, I think it's healthy. I think that we're in a good in a good place uh, in a lot of ways because we've always had these traditional places to go, like the BFI, uh, National Lottery Fund, BBC Film, Film Four. These incredible places that encourage British talent and invest in them. But there is absolutely nothing wrong with there being some more players in town. And the minute that you know uh, Netflix planted a flag in the sand and opened an office in the UK, then Amazon followed suit. And now there are, as you said, all of these massive studios opening up. It's exciting. It just means that there's more business in town and there are more platforms to play on. And this isn't me taking anything away from those, um, uh, those people who have helped me. You know, my film is supported by BBC Film, the BFI and the National Lottery Fund. I wouldn't have been able to make Pirates without their support. But for this thing to thrive, there needs to be more people. There needs to be more money. There needs to be more energy. And um, we're always going to be playing second fiddle to Hollywood, but um, I think that there is a, a real unique thing that you get when you shoot here in the UK. And we've always had talent in terms of crew. It just finally is starting to feel as though there are enough places to go for people behind the camera, for the writers and for the directors. And by go, I mean places to go with their ideas, to find the money to make things, you know? And in terms of the kind of films that are being made, what... What's your take on that? Are you, do you like the kind of films that we're seeing being made at the moment? Um, is there a film that you've maybe seen recently that you're like, actually, that uh, is pretty freaking good? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I mean, uh, at the moment, I'm I'm sort of still trying to get my head around um, these Biffa nominations, which is really exciting. Uh, mm. I've been looking for um, screenwriter off, off of Pirates for, for the for screenwriter off of Pirates uh, <laughs> at the Biffers this year, the Independent Film Awards. But I'm looking at some of these other uh, nominees and looking at some of the other talent, and it's just it's amazing because to be short, to be longlisted, we were the we were the most nominated longlist film, which was amazing. Um, and when it came to the shortlist, we didn't have as many nominations, which is absolutely fine. But to get a nomination as a screenwriter for me is huge. This is my first outing as a feature film director. So I'm just sort of pinching myself because now more than ever, there is so many talented people doing incredible work. For instance, you know, Debbie Tucker Green's here for I that ended up on iPlayer. You just kind of think, this has got... 007 Lashana Lynch in it and it's just on and it's on iPlayer this is a film that's that, 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 that was an incredible play and now it's an incredible film and it's just on iPlayer because there is that much being produced and Debbie just wants to get back to the theatre it's just a great example of where we are in terms of the amount of people that are creating um, and creating at a high standard as well 
Your film, however, is getting a cinema release. Was there any ever ever any discussion about it going straight to streaming? Because as someone having watched it in a cinema, it feels like the kind of movie that is designed for a communal experience. It is a party movie. It's a beautiful movie. It's a beautiful friendship that you've got on screen there. But it is a kind of movie that you want to see with friends, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, that's exactly the intention for it. You know, some of my favorite comedy coming of age movies are so much more fun when you're watching them with your friends, particularly if you are the age on screen. And uh, I remember being a teenager watching some of those movies and just falling in love with them in a different way, or even being in my twenties and watching films like Superbad, where, you know, the age of the stars wasn't that long ago for me. It just felt more visceral in a lot of ways. And to be able to see that in a packed cinema on a Friday night was just awesome because you're just surrounded by people that, have the same references and find the same things funny. And ideally, pirates will do that. I mean, on Monday at the premiere, that was, oh, mate, that was the biggest audience we watched the film with. And um, on Saturday, it was on Sunday, we're doing a BFI screening, and that'll be an even bigger audience. It's a sellout of 450 in screen one. And to have the film on a screen in front of that many people, it's just going to be awesome because you just feel these laughs like move like waves and it's just such an incredible experience. So it being on the big screen is a massive deal. It's it's so true. I mean, laughter, you know, it's, I mean, look, it's a, it's a cliche, but laughter is infectious. And, you know, you can sit and watch the same movie on your sofa, on your own, or just with, like with a couple of people. Compare that to sitting in a room full of like strangers and yeah. that that laughter, like you say, it's waves of it and it, it catches hold of you and it takes you with it. It's, it's an important thing. How does it feel, though, for you personally, having written those jokes? Because like they say, comedy is one of the hardest things to write, uh, which I think personally is true. It really is. It's so funny because, you know, I, the last, the closest thing to a feature film that I've made prior to this was that TV film, which was only an hour. And I don't read reviews, but my friends will throw in my face whenever I get a good one and I can't avoid it. Like it would just be in a group chat, like, bro, have you seen this thing that they're saying? And there was a couple of reviews for Make Me Famous that were saying, this needs to be shown in schools. This is so important. This is so special. Congratulations, Walla. All of these incredible things. And with drama, I find that it's not easier to achieve that sort of thing, but with drama, either it's good or it's not. Whereas with humor, it's so subjective. You know, you need to have the same references as the writer to get all the jokes. You need to have the same, you need to be in the right mood. You need to be in the right room. There's so many variables. Comedy is so flipping hard. And I've been spoiled because the first thing that I put out was a drama. And I got so many pats on the back that I could be lulled into a full sense of security. And with this, I'm just trying my hardest just to, 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 to stay grounded and not get, not get too excited at the reaction of the premiere, you know? It's, I, I mean, like you say, it's, it's such an interesting thing, right, in comedy. I, I mean, I think this, uh, the, the joke about uh, your mum's a wardrobe, <laughs> and I think it's Kidder, and it's just the arrangement of the way he responds, because uh, he says, it is your mum who is a wardrobe. And just, the, <laughs> like, he doesn't go, no, your mum's a wardrobe. It is your mum who is a wardrobe. That sort of definition of each word suddenly transforms that gag. Yeah, yeah. I, but that's, that's a great example of just how talented these boys are. You know, we, um, the rule of thumb was that we'd always shoot things as scripted and then we'd do an improvisational pass if we had time where the boys could embellish. And nine times out of ten, we made time to make sure we got that. And with those car scenes, you know, brilliantly, Elliot, the 
Jani Bastard. Um, Elliot, who plays Capo, our lead in this, he drives the car for the entire movie and so much of the movie takes place in the car. And during the audition process, um, we asked him about having a driver's license. Like, yeah, of course I've got a driver's license. He had a provisional. He had a provisional. He hadn't flipping even taken a proper lesson. And then he lands the role of the only driver in the crew and he can't flip and drive. So we then have to redo our entire budget, put a low loader in, put an A-frame in, because I wasn't going to recast it. He was amazing, but he couldn't flip and drive. So <laughs> that entire sequence, we are on, um, on a low loader that night and we're driving around central London. No, Wood Green that night on a low loader. And it got to the point where things were just hysterical. So I was radioing in... Um, alternate lines and then the boys were saying them and then flipping them and embellishing them and um that was what came from that like i, I uh, the the your mum's narnia the biggest wardrobe of all was all i said and then they just made it what it is and red is delivery no it is in fact your mum that is a wardrobe like he's he's hilarious he's just you know certain people are just supernaturally funny he's one of them oh uh, i mean look uh that's fantastic that Elliot lied uh, entirely. Uh, let's not dress it up. He lied to you. Um, but that's what that's what you're told to do. I think it's the first school of audition when someone asks you a question. It's like Ghostbusters. If someone asks you if you can drive, you say yes. Just say yes. Just say yes. Exactly. And um, what did you think of interest? This is me being a complete loser now. What did you think of Afterlife? What did you think of Ghostbusters? I, I'm, I'm a huge Ghostbusters fan, so I... I forgave it any flaws that it had in the second half because it had earned so much goodwill in that first 40 minutes that it could have taken me anywhere. What did you think? Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, I actually cried. I'm not going to lie. I cried a little bit because that was the first movie that got repeat viewings from me. You know, we, we had it on VHS and I watched it over and over and over. And that's Ghostbusters 1. Even though Bobby Brown's in Ghostbusters 2, it doesn't quite match Ghostbusters 1 for me. Um, but I love that movie so much. And without giving too much away, you know, what they do uh, in that, that second half, um, there are moments about it that aren't perfect, but it's just so respectfully done that it made me quite emotional in a lot of ways. And, you know, it's without pointing the finger at what happened in 2016, that just wasn't the case. And um, this just felt very different. And it felt like the movie that we love had been honored properly. So I'm glad that we're on the same page on that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like you, I, I, I did cry big manly tears. But I, was in, <laughs> I was in the Sony screening room and there was only about three or four other people in there. And it was when Ecto One Siren came on, it just like, Ping! Yeah, that's what got me. That was the first one that got me. And I was like, oh my God, oh, me, me. I was like, oh no, 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 here come the waterworks. And then at that big moment at the end, oh, I just, it, it completely done me over, man. Yeah, yeah. Hey, well, this is a good point to ask because obviously, I mean, this is a, a, a film that you've written and directed, but it is also a great calling card for you as a director alone visually it's so confidently directed it looks fantastic what's the plan from here are you going to continue authoring the stories that you want to tell or you know if the right idea came along would you consider just directing something yeah first of all thank you very much um coming from you i really really appreciate that uh, i have to be really transparent i have had some offers of stuff to do but um they've not been quite right but truthfully I love the idea of seeing the creative process out from kernel of idea to execution and delivery. 
And truth be told, I've still got so much to learn. You know, this is just the beginning for me in a lot of ways. And um, I really love the process. So writing makes me incredibly happy. And I've already written my, my next film. And um, uh, I'm really excited about who we're collaborating with and where, where it potentially could go and who we potentially could cast. Um, so, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. This Pirates is my focus and it's incredibly important to me. But um, it is really nice to be able to have something to say to people, look, I did this and I can do so much more. And um, yeah, I think my priority is to author the films that I make for now because I just want to learn. I want to keep learning and making mistakes and, and getting better. Okay, but hypothetically, if say Marvel came <laughs> around like tomorrow and went, listen, we love it. Would you be interested in doing this? Well, you know, you know what's really interesting. I've um, I've had some really really helpful conversations. Um, I, I sat down for lunch with Joe Cornish. Um, I went for I went for dinner with Danny Boyle, and uh, they've just given me some amazing advice about this moment off the back of making your first film and what will be put in front of you and not rushing. And you know, talking to Joe about that moment after Attack the Block and what was put in front of him and him taking his time and how important it was for him to know what he was going to do next. Um, and both of them, you know, they're both of the both of the guys gave me so much incredible advice. But the thing that Danny said that really resonated with me was that you're in the best position as a storyteller if you've got a script under your arm off the back of your first film. And he was like, do you? And I was like, do. And so I think uh, Mr. Oscar-winning Boyle's advice is uh, someone who I'm going to listen to for sure. I'm going to move into my next idea. I think. Yeah, I, I, I guess, I guess for 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 both of them. I mean, there are examples of both their careers. It's you know, it's about control. And you know, the minute you start playing with studios that are more interested in you telling their story than you telling the story that perhaps you signed up to tell, then you are going to eventually lose sight of you know. The, the, the truth is, I'm a huge fan of Marvel. I mean, I, I, I've seen every single one of the movies over the last decade. And um, uh, some of the, the movies that have come out of that staple, uh, for me, shine brighter than others because of that author's fingerprints. And Iron Man and Jon Favreau, like that, for me, is the one that I always return to because it really feels like him. And the same with Kugler and Black Panther. You know, it feels like a Kugler movie. And... Um, I don't know whether it's a, a negotiation between the talent and the studio or whether it's just who the director is and how important it is to them to have their voice in their in their writing. But um, I think it can be done. Uh, and, you know, I, Iron Man is a Iron Man one particularly is a, is a great example of that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there are, I think the moments that Marvel really shine are. Oh, when it, it does feel like the people behind the camera have often had uh, input into the script as well. Um, you know, Taika Waititi on uh, Thor Ragnarok, I think is another good example. Yeah, that's, that's a perfect example. And on the flip side, like I love Short Term 12. It's one of my favourite little films that uh, I've seen. And Dustin Kret, the director of that, made Shang-Chi. And it just doesn't feel like it's the same filmmaker, you know, and I love, love his work. So, um yeah, I think the, the Taika Waititi route is definitely the one because that is, Thor Ragnarok is undeniably a Taika movie, you know? Yeah. So you don't have to tell me because I'm sure it's all under wraps, but you could at least maybe uh, give me a little uh, 
hint at the direction you're going in with your next movie. Or you can tell me if it's out there. I, I don't know. Yeah, no, no, it's not. It's not massively out there, and I'm not going to shout too much about it. But um, at its heart, it's essentially a, a film about identity, and that's something that I'm fascinated in. Um, I think uh, as a child of the big city uh, and as a child of an immigrant, this idea of knowing who you are versus being told who you might be has always been something that I wanted to explore. And um, the story that I've written definitely delves into that. So I'm excited about, you know, making that something that hopefully people will go out and see and enjoy. Well, back to the here and now, Pirates Hit Cinemas. How good is this sentence? Pirates Hit Cinemas on yeah. November the 26th. Um, a stonking debut, mate. I'm so happy for you. It's, um, it's great. And uh, I would encourage people uh, to go out and see it. They will have a hell of a night um are you going to stay on or off social media when uh, when it comes out just you know because obviously people get on there and they're like loved it or not yeah. or whatever are you going to follow that well it's interesting because i don't really use twitter even though i've got an account and i've got a decent following on there i barely use it and um i just don't like the culture of it so i won't be on social media really in that way and i'm, I'm, I'm on and off of instagram so yeah, I'm just going to try and enjoy the moment. Um, I think we're at a screening that night. We're going to be weirdly, yeah, we're, we're doing a Q&A in Finsbury Park on the night that it comes out. And um, the cool thing about that is that the, the pirate radio station that I was on when I was a teenager is about 200 steps from the cinema. <laughs> Q&A for it. So it's, it's, yeah, it's just really nice full circle stuff. So I'm going to enjoy that stuff rather than whether people uh, are giving it two stars or five. You enjoy that stuff and you enjoy this moment. Well deserved, mate. I cannot wait to see what you do next and hopefully they'll come back on and, um, and tell me all about it when that happens. Thank you very much. That's really kind, man. And um, it's a real pleasure chatting to you. Thank you, Alex. Cheers, Reggie. Appreciate it, man. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Alex Zane here. Thank you for choosing to listen to Just The Facts. And while you can still enjoy these episodes forever, you might want to check out our brand new show, A Trip To The Movies, where each week a different famous film fan curates their perfect night out at the cinema, picking what snacks they'd eat, where they'd sit, who they'd go with, and of course, what movies they'd screen. If you love cinema as much as we do, search A Trip to the Movies with Alex Zane or head to our socials at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod to find out more. <laughs> 